0: The 360 on Energy and Carbon, hosted by 360 Energy. In his tenure at Sustainable Ocean Alliance, Brandon Levy has supported the next generation of ocean innovators with the training, resources, and networks they need to build nature-positive solutions and reach their full potential as human beings. In this capacity, Brandon has built the Ocean Leadership Program created a grant program that has provided over a million dollars of funding to over 200 grassroots projects in over 60 countries, spearheaded global leadership summits in collaboration with foreign governments, and provided integral coaching for young leaders worldwide. Now let's get into the episode with Brandon. Welcome back, John.
1: It's really good to be back. I'm looking forward to our next episode on the oceans.
0: Me too, and I think Dave's busy swimming, so that's why he couldn't be here with us today. (laughs) So today we're joined by Brandon Levy, Chief Program Officer at Sustainable Ocean Alliance. Welcome back.
2: Thank you, Lissandra. Great to be with you, John, as well. And I'm jealous that someone is is swimming, and I'm not. Get me in the water.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's okay, because we'll dive into this episode of Ocean Sustainability. (laughs) You wait for uh, it. And to start off this episode, what is the importance of the oceans to a sustainable future?
2: I'm glad you've asked this question. I think it's really important that we understand the basics of what makes the ocean so important for really every aspect that allows us to function on planet Earth as human beings. And even beyond just our own needs as a species, the ocean plays a vital vital role in sustaining all life and regulating the climate and providing a myriad of both economic and ecological benefits. So I'll start off with, with breathing, reminding everyone to take a breath now because that's always good to do. So the ocean produces approximately 50% of the world's oxygen and phytoplankton, specifically, are the microorganisms that are creating the oxygen for us to breathe. So if you take two breaths, one of those breaths is from the ocean. So thank you. The climate regulation is a very important piece of this, too. Of course, we're, we've we seen the news. It's I'm in New York right now. It's been extremely hot. I know in the Middle East and throughout Europe, we have um, record heat. We have wildfires throughout Canada, we have floods in Bangladesh, we have climate effects everywhere we see. But the ocean is a a great ally in in this process. It absorbs and stores around 90% of the excess heat that's been generated by human activities since around 1850. So thanks to the ocean, it's not intolerably hot everywhere yet. It is helping us have a more comfortable environment where we can actually survive in and our plants and our food systems can continue to sustain us. Um, Another big piece of this is the the ocean is a carbon sink, one of our largest. It it absorbs about 30% of the CO2 released in the atmosphere. Uh, This carbon storage component of the ocean is quite significant as well. The ocean holds about 50 times more carbon than the atmosphere does. So it plays a vital role in its ability to, to mitigate climate change overall. Um, of course, there are other areas where climate change will impact the ocean and we need to really um, make sure that <laughs> the oceans can continue to sustain us because if it continues to warm at this rate, if we continue to overfish at this rate, um, we are going to see some really disastrous effects according to climate science. So we need to be careful, sea level rise and the warming of the ocean and the melting of the polar ice caps can contribute to massive tsunamis and and flooding in certain areas. And since the early 20th century, the global sea levels have risen by about 20 centimeters, which doesn't sound like a lot, but with further increases projected in the future, For everyone who's living on the coast, which is really most of the human population, this is a cause for concern. Uh, The ocean does, though, help us from these storm surges through its wetlands and mangroves and coral reefs and coastal vegetation. These serve as natural barriers that help protect our coastal communities from erosion, from storms, and really reduce the risk of damage from these extreme weather events. So again, the oceans remain an ally and then of course, for, for many of us, for over 3 billion of us worldwide, we rely on seafood as a primary source of, of protein. Uh, fisheries and aquaculture provide livelihoods for millions of people and are crucial for our food security as a globe. That, when you if you're just looking at the, the economic benefits, the ocean contributes about 1.5 trillion a year to the economy provides employment for around 350 million people so it's it's absolutely critical that we allow the ocean to do what it does best which is to provide a wide range of ecosystem services for us from nutrient <clears> cycling to water purification to carbon sequestration which are all vital for maintaining a healthy planet and supporting human and w- human well-being and really all life everywhere
1: Wow, that, that's that's a really big answer, isn't it? <laughs> it's,
2: it's a big um, body of water. <laughs> it's a big ecosystem. Now, yes, yeah. now that's,
1: that, that leads me on to my question, because you've identified with oceans, the biggest bodies of water that there are. But where is there a line? I mean, you know, seas, lakes, ponds, rivers. I know they're to some extent they're interconnected, but tell me more about, the other bodies of water, Do, are, are they important or is it just the oceans that are important?
2: Yes, great question. And for listeners who may have heard the first podcast that we've done together, this may be redundant, but allow it to be a reminder of the importance of, of these topics. So other bodies of water, some of which you mentioned, like rivers, lakes and wetlands, they can have a direct impact on ocean health. And when we look at things like pollutants and excess nutrients and sediment runoff, all of these things that can come from land eventually go through the rivers and reach our oceans, causing an influx of plastic pollution, eutrophication, which, is, which are these big algae blooms that are not great for the ocean. So it's essential that we manage and protect all of these interconnected water systems so that the oceans remain healthy one thing i've always found fascinating about the ocean is for me it's like a a big mirror for for all of our activities on land Uh, very rarely does do the activities that we're doing here not have a a corollary or representative in in the ocean itself take big agriculture they there's an excessive influx of nitrogen and phosphorus from some of these farming practices that Are a big contributing factor towards the development of dead zones in the ocean so for those who don't know what dead zones are there are let me back up so if if you're farming you're using nitrogen phosphorus other things to help your plants although they've proven some of these are are not good for the long-term sustainability of the soil and for your harvest so regenerative agriculture is more and more important but if if you are in that world or if you're benefiting from the food systems that come from big agriculture, know that those harmful toxic minerals are winding up in the rivers and winding up in the ocean, creating these algal, bro- algal blooms, which are decreasing the oxygen that are creating mm. these dead zones. So within the water, the water suffers from something called hypoxia, which is essentially n- none of the species or the fish or any, anything that's alive can breathe. Because the algae yeah. is essentially eating up all the oxygen, and that decreases, that greatly decreases the biodiversity of whatever the, the body of water that we're talking about. Typically, an ocean here. So that's just one example. Plastics being another. Where i had mentioned that ninety uh, percent of, of plastics in the ocean come from uh, just ten rivers. <laughs> uh, most of those are in Asia. So if we can really factor in river health and making sure that we take care of those that will be critically important. And then there are other um, sort of bodies of water and wetlands and such that if, if we're able to preserve those, then that'll actually help the ocean's health by essentially mitigating some of the effects of climate change, which then downstream affect the ocean through warming and acidification. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Well, on the topic of ocean sustainability, a common term used is blue carbon. Can you tell us what is blue carbon?
2: Yeah, so blue carbon has become quite a buzzword, and it is in, a, in the best of ways in the sense of this is something that is seen as a viable alternative now and is more and more in the spotlight for folks. So coastal ecosystems such as mangrove forests, tidal marshes, seagrass meadows, they can protect coastlines from storms, from rising sea levels and from erosion, right? And they regulate water quality, they provide a a habitat for fish, they ensure that we have food security and they provide direct livelihood for the local communities that directly depend on them, right? So it's really important that when we look at blue carbon and blue carbon credits, blue carbon markets, that we are taking into account the importance of doing this in concert with local communities one of the biggest challenges that we're facing right now is making sure that carbon credits in general not just talking about blue carbon are of high quality that they're in integrity Um, offsets in general they suffer from a bad reputation due to controversies over uh, land-based projects and a focus on going to net zero without directly decarbonizing activities or through indigenous land grabs or all sorts of shenanigans that have happened that invite a certain degree of skepticism ar- around carbon offsets overall there's also the issue around additionality yet blue carbon yeah. is is really unique because it allows for us to sequester and take in carbon in a way that has many co-benefits. And these co-benefits can, can be vast, whether it's really helping the, the local uh, community in serving their own vitality and sustainability. So we've supported a project at Sustainable Ocean Alliance, the, the organization that I'm a part of called Makoko Pomoja, meaning mangroves together in Kiswahili, And this project has planted 14 or so hectares of mangrove forest. It's been um, selling about 2,500 credits per year with one credit equivalent to about a ton of carbon. And they're taking a really unique approach where through the the profits that they, they make, through this, they've paid for a water system for the nearby village and school books for children and other important local projects that have these social and economic benefits, such as job creation for local communities. So we want to make sure that we are invest when we are buying a blue carbon credit or we're buying a carbon credit in general, that it's not just going to, let's say your, the offset provider, but that those, those revenues are, going and being spread throughout so that's just one element there and i'll get off my soapbox around it but just to give you a little bit of why blue carbon in general is is quite important it's mangroves and salt marshes are two of the the key um ecosystems that that we look for that, that help sequester carbon from the atmosphere and mangroves and salt marshes remove carbon from the atmosphere at a rate 10 times greater than Let's say a tropical forest. So yeah. the really, really powerful uh, seagrass meadows—they account for just 0.1% of the world's seafloor, but they store 11% of the organic carbon buried in the ocean. And when you look at mangroves and salt marshes together, they store three to five times more carbon per acre than, than tropical forests. So it's it's really, really imperative that we look at blue carbon and start putting more money into that field into high quality blue carbon credits because of these co-benefits and because, quite frankly, it's just more effective at times. Uh, they can be harder to, to find, which is why we're looking at platforms that um, can help offer that and exchanges and, and different primarily community-led projects like Mococo Pomoja and Plan Vivo and others uh, that we've invested in through our grant program that are are providing that for for the industry
1: thank you okay so we're talking about doing that with carbon if i stick on the the energy hat renewable energy is one of the things that we we're told we've got we've got to look at and if we start looking at the oceans we've got we've got offshore wind farms we've got tidal barrages and we've got a variety of other possible technologies of generating energy through the oceans but is this all positive? Are there negatives to us using the oceans as an energy source?
2: Yeah, I think with everything, there'll be light and shadow, pros and cons. I'd say in net, re- renewable technologies are okay, um, and I support them. <laughs> but just to flag, since you asked, offshore wind farms and wave energy, for example, they, they can have some de- deleterious effects uh, while these Technologies, yeah. of course, have the real benefit of offering cleaner alternatives to fossil fuel-based energy. The installation and operation can be disruptive to marine ecosystems yeah. and habitats, so that's why we really stress proper planning, site selection, environmental impact assessments. All of these things can help minimize the, the negative effects and ensure that the energy is truly sustainable in, from every aspect of its development.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: So what are the main challenges our oceans facing?
2: Yeah, I, I don't want to beat your audience over the head with it because it's, I may be saying <laughs> this for many it. times, but it, it's, it's worth repeating. Forgive me, listeners, but I, I will summarize this in a pippy way for you. So first, climate change. Rising temperatures, ocean acidification, sea level rise, these all pose significant threats to these valuable marine ecosystems. Examples of those marine ecosystems, the exact things that are helping, that are being turned into blue carbon, like like these mangroves and seagrass meadows, but also coral reefs and marine species. All of these elements brought on by climate change um, are disrupting the food web it's reduced, the fact that the ocean is so acidic actually prevents a shrimp or a crustacean, let's say, from forming its own shell. So it's, and that may sound like, okay, well, that's one thing, but everything is interconnected, the entire food web. So we have to make sure that um, we get, we mitigate climate change, we mitigate these rising temperatures so that the ocean doesn't increase its acidification. The polar ice caps, don't melt as fast because all of these will have uh, downstream consequences that of course human beings are not immune to. The other piece of this is overfishing and unsustainable practices. So we have destructive fishing practices like like bottom trawling, which is actually mm. horrible for carbon emissions and what we call IUU fishing. So illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing. All of these things the deplete fish populations and damage marine habitats and are ultimately uh, feeding these cycles of inequity. Because one thing I want to support is local artisanal fishers, folks that are um, fishing sustainably for their own survival to feed their community, their village, their family. That is great. But a lot of the fishing that happens are it happens on the high seas. There's been a, a landmark treaty that's in the works to, to prevent some of this and to protect more and more of the ocean. So it's quite critical that we, we do that. Um, so really looking at how can we ensure that our fish populations don't continue to deplete and that our marine habitats that provide the, the sustenance for so many of us remain uh, able to, to do that. The other piece i've mentioned and is more in vogue now is marine pollution so plastics primarily oil spills chemicals and excess nutrients i mentioned from agriculture and wastewater these all pose severe risks to marine life to ecosystems and of course to, to human health as well like we are not immune to any of this especially when you look at plastics like we see plastics in our cells in in babies that are being born. It's affecting our endocrine systems. There are all sorts of things where, we can't separate ourselves. We're part, we're continuous with this planet. So if we pollute the planet, it's gonna pollute our bodies. That's that's a fact. Uh, The last piece I'll say is habitat destruction. So this is a, a very big challenge from the destruction and degradation of coastal habitats, like mangroves and coral reefs. Um, often due to coastal development and pollution. I was on the, the northern coast of Colombia and witnessed a bit of this offhand where you have some of the most biodiverse and lush places on the planet, but these ports and other infrastructures and uh, drilling will, will take priority over um, protecting and safeguarding our biodiversity. So all, all of these are challenges that, that we face. And my hope is that entities like Sustainable Ocean Alliance and, and many of our, our allies and partners in the space and each and every one of you can be part of the solution to to ensure that the ocean continues to be the lifeblood for, for generations to come.
1: Yes, thank you for that. In the developed world, we are very much being very shorthand here. We're very much a consumerist society. It's all about consumption and everything else. So are there a few obvious things to you that we as consumers could be doing to help protect the oceans?
2: Yes, absolutely. and And ultimately, sometimes for us, these problems seem so global, so large that why do anything? You know are we yeah. even able to have an impact? And I would argue, yes, you absolutely are able to have an impact. I think one of the key things that we're trying to do at Sustainable Ocean Alliance is to empower groups of people together to then activate their community, to educate, increase the ocean literacy, the vocabulary and the understanding, the awareness of what is actually happening. Because that's always the first step. Um, That, of course, can then lead to bottom-up political pressure. That can lead to movement building. So at Sustainable Ocean Alliance, we've built this movement that spans over 150 countries with youth and entrepreneurs and policy advocates um, all around the planet that are actively coming together. So I will say there's strength in numbers. And even if your voice seems like it's crowded out together, creating that that joint momentum will really do wonders. But to answer your question more on the nose, there are things we can do on our day to day that that do matter. So looking at your plastic consumption specifically around single use plastics. So how you first best thing you can do, try not to buy plastic. I know sometimes it's hard because you're Mm -hmm. on an airplane and you want water and they take away your water. And uh, (laughs) the only thing you can do is take their plastic cup and and whatever. Um, But in circumstances where you have some autonomy, try to avoid using plastic, get a, get a nice water bottle, discard single use plastics responsibly if you do use it, because yeah. if, if that happens, you know, eventually it's going to wind up in the ocean and then wind up back in our bodies somehow. Mm-hmm. Seafood choices. So you can, I, I eat seafood full disclosure. I love seafood. It's one of my primary sources of protein and a real treat. If I, if I get to have a, a nice piece of salmon when i go out to dinner or go out for a sushi lunch or whatever with with some friends on occasion so but yeah you, ha- you can be discerning about what type of sushis you what type of fish that you <laughs> order at a restaurant or buy at a yeah. supermarket so th- i encourage you to to research that a bit about where your local supermarket or restaurant is sourcing their seafood as Ultimately, if we're not making informed choices as consumers, these unsustainable fishing practices are gonna to continue to go unchecked and continue to damage a lot of these uh, marine ecosystems. Yeah, and we then do lastly, have I'll have say, them. yeah, yeah. We, hopefully there's more and more traceability and awareness around where these are from. I mean, the some of you may have seen sea Spiracy. Some of you may watch, have seen Blue Planet Two or other movies that have yeah. sci- shown the showed the dark side of of fishing at large. So we, there is cause to to be really discerning to around what you put in your body and and how that affects everyone from the whole supply chain. And then the last thing I would say is the use of chemicals such as fertilizers and pesticides in your homes and your gardens. All these can also end up in in our bodies of water Mm -hmm. through runoff through impacting water quality and marine life so as best as you can using environmentally friendly alternatives and minimizing chemical use can help mitigate this impact but i really want to encourage your your listeners here that these are great things to do but realistically we we need to band together on this and one okay. of the reasons I've, I've been at this organization for, for five plus years now at Sustainable Ocean Alliance is I truly feel it's on the precipice of being this global movement that's moving the needle. We've, we've already been able to shift entire countries' positions on key issues like whether or not to mine the deep sea or not, which don't get me started on that, but maybe for the next <laughs> podcast. But there are <laughs> ways in which if we have the political might, if we come together that we can really conserve these ecosystems, reduce pollution, promote the right practices, get the legislation passed, get the financing for our projects and our products and our services, and collectively make that difference to ensure the long-term well-being of our oceans and the planet as a whole.
0: Well, thank you for another great episode, Brandon. To end this episode off, what is the biggest takeaway for our listeners?
2: Yeah, I invite you to join Sustainable Ocean Alliance, to go to soalliance.org and become uh, more familiar with all the ways that we may be able to support you and learning more about the ocean and taking action directly by supporting uh, one of the 266 projects that we've funded and through a variety of different means. We are trying to create this one-stop shop for everyone who is interested in Taking ocean action, supporting some of the most promising innovations to have means to do so. So it doesn't feel like you are just on the sidelines of this fight. So please stay tuned and go to soalliance.org as we'll be announcing this online platform in September as a means for you to engage more broadly with the ocean at large and the solutions that can help we hopefully save it. And one last thing, just next time you're with a friend or with your family or whoever, just spread the word. You know, this is, yeah. the ocean doesn't really get a lot of airtime. We all love, well, a lot of us love the ocean and the recreational and the leisurely activities we associate with it, but it is a threat and we need to protect it. And it's a I know there's a lot of competing priorities right now. We are in what many call this polycrisis or metacrisis things converging uh, against the the benefit of of humanity and of the planet, but the oceans need their fair share of, of airtime there. And you can contribute to that by spreading the word about their importance.
0: Thanks, Brandon. John, what's your biggest takeaway? Well,
1: Something that we've often en- talked about when we've done our podcast is people being carbon literate, being energy literate. I think we now add being ocean literate to it. And that actually Absolutely. does underscore, I think I said something in, in, in at the end of the, the first podcast we did about it's great to engage youth. This whole issue of sustainability education and information is a, is that the root of it. But I do love what you're, what Brandon's saying about how, yeah, we can do so much as individuals, but we've got to get collective if, we, if we're going to really, as he was saying, shift the dial.
0: Yeah, I would say my biggest takeaway, Brandon, you said this sentence, and I think it'll stick with me for a while. O- the ocean is a mirror of what we do on land. So I definitely think we all need to Think of that as we go about our day-to-day activities. All right. Thank you both for your time today.
1: Yes, thank you, Brandon. It's
2: been really interesting. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you both. Have a wonderful day.
0: That's all for today's episode of the 360 on Energy and Carbon podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check us out on our website at 360energy.net and follow us on LinkedIn at 360 Energy Inc. Tune in to our podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, Anchor, or other listening platforms by searching the 360 on energy and carbon. You can watch the video recording and subscribe on YouTube at 360 Energy Inc. Email us your feedback at podcast at 360energy.net or comment on our LinkedIn posts. See you next week.